because it's fun. It's fun to do bad things. 24-7 Comedy Radio. I to do stuff with my friend. Hey, kids, this is Mark Ellis from Schmoesno.com, and you're listening to Sean on The Green Room. The NFL season is just around the corner, and what better way to get things started than by signing up at winthetrophy.com, the premier site in fantasy gambling. At winthetrophy.com, you wait your credits on any game in sports. Win enough credits, and you can turn your genius picks into cold, hard cash. The site is completely free, completely legal, and all you need is an email address to sign up. I'm already there. You can challenge me to a betting duel. So log on to winthetrophy.com and make sure to use the referral code STG. That's winthetrophy.com, STG. The host of the green room, Sean Green. All right, everyone, welcome to the Green Room Comedy Podcast. We're doing it live here on twenty four seven Comedy dot com. I'd like to welcome on to the program my left hand man, Mister Logan Lysico. Logan, thank you for coming on the show. Buyakasha. All right, I like it. Wait, <laughs> what? What is uh, Buyakasha from? I, well, it's from uh, Ali G. I think. I think that's yes. what he says. Uh, that's I don't right. know what. It means or where he got it from. <laughs> it's probably some uh, South English phrase. I, I know that's well, – I think that's uh, where he came up with the character. Like these – I guess you would describe them as wiggers, white guys, pretend to act in black. But the British version is weird, you know. Yeah, because you have the whole other British thing. Wait, uh, just real quick. I was uh, walking around, and there was a homeless guy who was going crazy, that schizophrenic crazy. And was yelling, but he was yelling, and he still had a little bit of his accent. And I was just like, oh, that's, that makes him that much more charming. Makes him that much uh, <laughs> He was a Brit? Yeah. Right. A homeless Brit here? Yes. He crossed the Atlantic to be homeless? Uh, yeah, apparently. A, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how he got here. Los Angeles is a melting pot. Fuck it. I'm going to America, and I'm going to not do very well. This is the place <laughs> to be homeless. I guess that's true. I mean, yeah, like if you were homeless in Kentucky... You know, just keep walking for a while. You'll be homeless in Malibu. You know? right. like, <laughs> like, you don't have anywhere to be. Right. So why not, you know, like eventually you will be homeless the there, yeah. by the beach. And then you're not going to have to go back. Catch so. waves. Yeah, you're, 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 <laughs> like, oh, fuck, now i got to walk back. No, you, you don't. Yeah, once you're kind of homeless in an area, that's where you live now. Not really, you don't have a home. But you can change that from moment to moment. Yeah. I live, I live, now I live on Vermont. Now I live, now I live on National. Yeah, the flexibility <laughs> like, uh, is... Is part of the beauty there. What was uh, your theme music? What were we listening to? We were listening we to Wax. Um, he's a rapper. He's also a musician. A good friend of the show. He just got signed to Def Jam not too long ago. So he actually ago. he knows you. Right. Oh, okay. That's cool. We know him. And, uh, yeah, very talented guy. He's actually he wouldn't playing. say he knows us, but, yeah. He, he wouldn't say that? If no. I go, hey, you know that you're the theme song for the world-renowned Sean Green comedy podcast. Like, he would. what? He would, yes. well, he he would, would or would not know that. He would He would remember, but you would have to remind him a couple times. Oh, okay. Like, All right. No, no. Uh, Wax is a good dude. Yeah. Speaking of good dudes, I'd like to welcome on John Roy to the podcast. Hello. John, thanks for coming on the show, man. Uh, anytime. Yeah. Appreciate it. So um, you're a stand-up comedian, obviously. You've been doing stand-up. Uh, yes. When did you start first start doing stand-up comedy? Um, uh, I don't really know. I mean, I'm being serious. I, I think it was the summer of 1997. Summer of 1997. But it possibly was the summer of 98. I'm pretty sure it was 97, though. Uh, there's funny, a lot like of after, uh, after a certain number of years, it fe- it's yeah. hard to like. And those years it. were were chock full of beer and pot. Yeah. So I don't I, – I'm almost positive it was August of 1997, though. August of I, I, 1997. Yeah. That's but I went through a couple started. years of not knowing when it was <laughs> at all. <laughs> you just had a general – Well, no, I have a friend that I started with, and we, we kind of hashed over everything, and he had some old photos, and by kind of just going through when it had to be, we sort of arrived that it was 1997. Nineteen ninety-seven. Okay, now you're originally from the Chicago area. I am. I am from Chicago. I grew up in Rogers Park, which is on the north side of the city. It is just under Evanston, where my family moved, and then I went to high school at Evanston High School, and then moved back to Chicago for college and went to Loyola. 
Okay, you went to Loyola College. Now, when did you first start uh, thinking about, like, hey, maybe I'll give stand-up a shot? When did you first start getting interested in comedy? Um, well, I had always loved comedy as a kid. My parents would get a comedy album every uh, Christmas. Are we supposed to be funny or just talk about funny? I mean, I, no, no, no. <laughs> like, this sounds like it's already deadly dull because there's no shark fights or or trucks blowing up in this story. Like, it's just about a guy who started comedy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that. We're just trying, okay. to, we're just trying to introduce okay, John so yeah, Roy the person. No, John Roy the person uh, has had a very boring life. <laughs> I know, he... Uh, after I graduated from college, no, but, but growing up, I always liked uh, stand-up. My parents would get a comedy album every Christmas, so I was introduced at a pretty early age to, like, you know, Bob Newhart and Bill Cosby and, and, and Richard Pryor and Carlin. Like, my parents didn't – they were never big on the R-rated thing if it was for language. Yeah. You know, they didn't want me watching some slasher film or, like, Porky's or whatever. But if it was just, like, some F-bombs or whatever, my parents never really cared. So I got to to, like, get into – some R-rated comedy. Like, my dad took me to Raw. I don't know if he should have done that, but my dad took <laughs> me to... That's, that's pretty... My dad I mean, took me to see Raw, Raw, Eddie Murphy Raw in the theater. So, And I'm just walking out with my dad. I wonder if he thought it was funny the lack of questions I had. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, just, just that, like, at yeah. age 12, like, how I was totally on board with just jokes about gay guys butt-fucking <laughs> and just, like, I mean, Raw, like, Dexter Shane Shock with his giant cock and he's pleasing Eddie Murphy's wife. Like, why was that all just something? Well, like, I would think if I was a dad, I'd be like, you got all that? Really? Well, yeah, what have well, I been well, doing well, wrong? Why yeah. do you, why were you now, so did, okay did you with all of that? you actually understand the context of it? Or, I mean, Eddie Murphy is such an animated performer. Yeah, I, like, I feel like I could laugh at him just, even if I didn't understand what he was talking about. I didn't get how much anti-women anger is in Raw. Like, as a kid, I, I responded to, like, eating a Tonka truck, obviously. Some of the dumber, you know, oh, we fucked the guy. Like, that's, you know, a kid can yeah. get his head around, Dog like, naughtiness or shit like that. Yeah. Or, you know, the wife, you know, the husband, uh, the husband singing the Motown songs. and and But then you're like, you don't, as a kid, you don't get, like, he's kind of hitting her. You know what I mean? Like, he's beating Though, like, he's abusing Lillian. Like, even if he's not smacking her around, like, you don't really get the subtext of that, that relationship that, that he's, like, a, kind of a really horrible husband and father. Like, I know he's completely <laughs> fake, but uh, but I don't think I got, like, Eddie Murphy. I didn't get the homophobia except in just to, like, uh, oh, you're gay. Like, I didn't get, like, that Eddie Murphy's, like, getting into it with the gay community. Like, I, I didn't really. And then and then just the, the constant misogyny and the... Eddie, I want half. Like you can't. Eddie Murphy, really. It, it's a. It's an interesting dynamic in that he's intensely homophobic, intensely anti-women in that, and wearing a red leather jumpsuit and the entire time. Later on, later picking on, up transsexual. And if you live on, I mean, anyone out there that is not from Los Angeles, which I assume is most of the people out there, it you would never ever go to the part of Santa Monica where Eddie Murphy says he by chance ran into that gentlewoman. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I work you would not that go area. there There's nothing ever yeah. unless you wanted that kind of entertainment. Like, right. There's not like, oh, hey, it's in the same aisle as the regular yeah, hey, If you want that, if you want those awesome, uh, remember I told you about that pita place? We, we, well, it's right where the training hookers, but, dude, you got to eat this falafel. Like, there's nothing right. that yeah. would bring you to that area except – Trading hookers. Yeah, like, no, and I understand if Eddie Murphy was, uh, you know, had some crazy drug problem. It was first time in Los Angeles. Maybe, maybe you confuse oh, one like of the just ladies. off the bus, like Axl Rose with a straw in his mouth. Yeah, like, exactly. Like the big city. <laughs> right. No, he, you know, you're, he's a right. seasoned veteran of Los Angeles. You know what yeah. you're getting into. This was like a 42 year old Eddie Murphy too. This was not like you know right. uh, Axl Foley, <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> like a young wide eyed. Just right. started hey, alive. Kid. Los Angeles. <laughs> well, <laughs> like I mean, honestly, I never knew that much about Eddie Murphy growing up, and watching him now, he seems pretty gay to me. Just, I mean, I didn't gr- know him in the context of the '80s. Yeah, I, I think there's something where, in the '80s, like the idea of a gay black guy 
for a white guy was so ridiculous. Because every black yeah. guy you met was a really, <laughs> at least in the city in Chicago, all the black guys I knew were were macho ish. Yes. like that was sort of the way they carried smooth themselves. Smooth talking, yeah, or or, or or just tough and no, like maybe not smooth at all, but just like what the fuck, man, you know. This is ninety nine cents. This is eighty nine cents. You know what I mean? Like, just there's just a toughness there that sort yeah. of cultural that masculinity. So you just even if a man is in a purple jumpsuit, open down to his balls, right. like and in he's a weird way, walking around yeah. this doing Elvis and and every character on on Delirious is fucking another male character <laughs> yeah. in the ass. Yeah. Right. Like like Eddie Murphy, like Mr. T is getting fucked in the ass. Uh, the honeymooners are fucking each other in the ass. Uh, Eddie Murphy and his brother are shoving G.I. Joe figures in each other's asses yeah. in the bathtub. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, in hindsight, there's, like, there's definitely a theme going on there. Well, when you have to open the show with how much pussy you get, almost <laughs> as a disclaimer, like, you're about to hear some really gay things. So right. before we get into the gay, right. I just want to assure everybody, sure vagina is flowing like water out of a tap in my life currently. <laughs> <laughs> I just want everybody to know that before I get into the fucking Mr. T portion of the act, <laughs> I would like everyone to know just how straight I am. So now you, you you heard that and you're like, oh, that's for me. Or yeah, I heard about uh, butt fucking in a, in a purple leather suit and I was in. <laughs> you're like, that's, now, by the way, that's a for me. It sounds like your dad was almost molding a comedian. Yeah, he, you know? yeah, it was like some weird like uh, yeah. Russian like in Russia. They're trying to you know you always thought of their athletes as being like, like a microphone. Exactly, like, on we will make you funny. You know, um, <laughs> no, uh, so you got you hooked up to machines, I, I measuring laughs. I was a runty kid in uh, junior yeah, high. Yeah, no, you talk about, in your act, and you talk about uh, identifying yourself as an only child. Do you think there was a... Yeah, well, sure. I mean, you amuse yourself. And I remember, like, I used when I was, like, eight or nine, I remember getting up to watch this show that is now all hip and cool, but back then it was pretty ludicrous. It was called Doctor Who. And uh, now, like, everyone's watching it on BBC America or whatever, and, like, girls are into it. But in really? 1986, that was not the case. Yeah. <laughs> Nerdy kids didn't care about bad special <laughs> effects. <laughs> so I would stay up really late to watch Doctor Who. And my parents would let me – if I took a nap on Sunday, I could get up at 1030 and watch this thing, even though it was a school night. And in the, in the process of watching Doctor Who, Monty Python came on ahead of it. And a guy named Dave Allen at large, who is this Scottish comic, or Irish comic with a missing finger, and he smoked, it was reruns from like 1970, and he would smoke right. cigarettes and drink gin and sit in a chair in, <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a British TV show and would do street jokes. And then he had little sketches where like he was the Pope and they would constantly be dropping him like on that <laughs> chair or he like they, there was like a recurring thing where they would be carrying the pope on that sedan chair yeah and either like knock him face first into a into a pole or because it's britain and they right. hate the pope That's so great. it's easy to make fun of him <laughs> so i would watch this guy dave allen tell these street jokes and i remember his catchphrase he would go good night and may your god go with you like he would always make fun of religion and then my python came on afterwards and after about eight weeks of this, I didn't give a shit about Doctor Who anymore. I was like, give right. me this crazy British yeah, comedy. You're like, <laughs> you're like oh, what's that? Like, I, yeah, you're I like remember. Doctor Who, who? Right? Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I wouldn't have made that one. I, but, I remember uh, <laughs> uh, that was, I, was, uh, I was influenced by Monty Python early on. I remember in like sixth grade, we were in the Gifted Talent program or something, and they were like, you can do a project on anything. So I did mine, uh, me and this other guy, Andre. We did a project on a Monty Python, and I remember part of it was, like, including skits from Monty Python. So at the time, we didn't have, like, any way of dubbing stuff, so we would just put in tapes of Monty Python and then film it with a VCR. <laughs> and then we filmed our own Monty Python skit, and I remember the, pres- or the, the, the premise was the devil dentist who went around giving people unwanted root canals and it was me and I ran up and I uh, I had like a, a pair of pliers and I pretended like I jammed them in <laughs> someone's mouth and then ripped it out and there was all this fake blood and I was right. like yeah this is a comedy skit yeah. <laughs> they're doing stuff like that on YouTube now right exactly <laughs> yeah I mean that's, that right. was a precursor so crazy to YouTube was like you, you were doing that as a kid and it was fun for you and your friends but you had no I mean now that kid doing that now say he did become a comedian yeah. that's gonna be out there forever and he'll get on, you know, yeah. Fallon or whatever, and he'll be like, uh, so I got this tape of uh, <laughs> yes. the Root Canal right. guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, there's no way, like, any dumb shit we ever do at whatever level we do it at, it's, it's, it's there forever. Like, yeah. it's not going anywhere. 
Yeah. Now, um, do you think that's gonna do you think that's gonna change the way we live society? Because we're almost creating this. Our lives are just gonna be digitally archived. Do you think that's gonna absolutely. change how we live our, our our lives? It already has. Uh, absolutely, it has. Yeah. People already when whenever we film out in the streets, people are already like, I don't want to be on the internet. I don't want you know. <laughs> they're kind of aware that they could yeah, end up well, on the internet being embarrassed. It's um. I think ever ever since the Star Wars like fat kid with the like, <laughs> that was, thing, yeah, that was like, the tipping point in society. That was sort of like watch what you do, asshole. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like, like there's like, not there's not a point where you can totally cut free. Actually, this um, this uh, it brings me to this uh, video. This was on CNN. This was a news story recently about a cop who got uh, busted. So uh, take a listen. Imagine the mortification felt by the state police officer caught having sex on the hood of a car with a brunette woman in broad daylight in uniform. At least he still had his clothes on. The only eyewitness was variously described as a prairie dog, a small mammal pervert. It's a squirrel watching him have sex, right? We think it's a chihuahua. Gathering nuts? Oh, I'm sorry. Now, this is hilarious for a lot of <laughs> reasons. First off, the, the story in and of itself that CNN is covering this these, this cab having sex, which I, which I guess is kind of news. No, it isn't. <laughs> no, well, this, I recognize that lady's voice. She always covers funny, silly stories. It's a funny thing that happened, and it's definitely worth telling your buddy about. Right. It's not news. It's not news. What does a cop fucking have to do with anything I, in your life? I, like, I remember how, this... I remember this. You should know this. Like, right. This is something you probably ought to know. Yeah. Do you really need to know that? Yeah, I mean, his supervisor fucking... should know. The guy in yeah. charge of the okay, cop. sure. <laughs> you know, the girl probably ought to know she's uh, on a film somewhere. Right. <laughs> but it was, think... it, the, the cop is just having sex with this lady on the hood of her car. And, yeah, there's a little there's a little dog, like, watching it. And this How? woman, the CNN piece is her just going, showing pictures of the people. How and many... then this guy making a joke of, like, oh, it's, it's a squirrel gathering some nuts. First off, clearly it's not a squirrel. And then, secondly, everyone feels compelled to be funny on camera now. How many years? <laughs> it's annoying. How many years of walking around with a gun knowing you can do anything you want with that gun Yes. before you can just fuck a girl on the hood of her car and just not even think about it? Like, I'm a, yeah. I can kill. I am the angel of death. <laughs> I will fuck you on the hood of your car. Like, how? when does the ego set in in a cop? Because yeah. no human being... Who wasn't absolutely shit can wasted and it's three in the morning, would ever have sex right. on the hood of their car. But a cop is like, ah, all right. <laughs> You're like, well, yeah. how much when does the power hungry mania Well I think I think that's in? I think that's part of being a cop. Cop almost has that position of it draws people in that kind of enjoy bossing people around. I think there's definitely a part of that gig of, hey, I get to carry a gun. I get to tell people what to do. Who do you know from when you were growing up that's a cop now? Yeah, what kind of people were they? Like, and I, I can contribute a little, but I would love to know from your life too. Like, do you know any people that are cops now? I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah, I think there's like one guy, and yeah, he's the type of guy that you would think he was—a guy in high school who was clearly not an honor student, a guy who just actually, you know what? I do know one guy, and uh, let's his nickname in high school was Johnny Blaze. He, uh, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Get people to call him that, or no? Why, why? You gotta explain. <laughs> that sounds like a shitty rock band name from like. I think he, I think he got it from the Wu Tang Clan. One of the guys, one of their like extra nicknames, you know, because they have like twelve nicknames plus another twelve nicknames. One of them was Johnny Blaze, and he was he was just known as a guy who did a ton of drugs in high school. He would just drive around in this. Uh, uh, like Plymouth minivan, just like stoned out of his mind. He was like the guy who was like, wow, you, you know, you heard stories of like, wow, people did coke in high school. It's like, oh yeah, that guy, he did a ton of coke in high school. And now he's a cop. Yeah, now he's a cop in New Hampshire and just like enjoying the idea, I'm guessing, of the power or taking people's drugs. He, does, he, didn't, he didn't seem like a nice guy ever. He was the guy that just constantly made fun of you like he would busted people's balls but not in a funny or entertaining right, way not a, you're faggot oh okay uh, right sorry. and then just yeah, why, why <laughs> you fuck off you fat fuck yeah. oh, okay right, right. there was no attempted humor so yeah that guy is a cop yeah i got a, there's a couple guys i grew up with i didn't really grow up with them but my my buddy danny did they were chicago cops and firemen's sons that all lived in a neighborhood called Saganash in on the north side of the city and at least two of them were just hardcore racists. 
Yeah. And just Chicago Man. just racists. And, like, Chicago racists have a, a, a racial slur that's all their own. You know, they, they call black people shines, which I think is from, like, <laughs> monkey shines or shoe shine boy. Either one of them. Take your right. pick. Either way. Like, not, whatever or is you want to get just sound there. nice, yeah. And uh, it's, yeah, dude, it fucking shines. They don't fucking pick up their lawn. You know, like, these are these guys. And they're cops now. Like, the, like yeah. two of the guys that were like that when they were nineteen are now now the police. Yeah, which you know will get a you know that doesn't perpetuate any stereotypes. And then the other guy, like I don't know if he ended up becoming a cop, but there was a dude in our high school who was just like a total boner guy. Like, and I wasn't, I was not that cool in high school. So like, don't right. act like I'm walking around telling like, oh this guy was a fucker. But <laughs> people liked me, and I got to go to the parties. Nobody liked this guy. Yeah, he ended up the very next year being park patrol. Which oh, meant that nice. he got to sit in the bushes with a flashlight at the golf course and stop us from having kegs. The guys from just the year under him, because now he's got a park patrol. <laughs> right. Now he's got a radio in that holster. There's no gun. <laughs> but uh, and that was it. Was clearly like now. Now we'll see who gets to fuck with who. Yeah, now exactly. we'll see who gets to have a keg in the golf course. <laughs> Yeah, if you're a nerd, I guess it, that's another person. It's either people who enjoyed bullying people around or, or people who were never who, – Yeah, who were so outside that they were like needed that little bit of power. Call, call me fucking Smelly Gary now. I got to <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> oh, those, those cuffs tightened up for you? Huh? Yeah, yeah. It's the way Smelly Gary rolls these days. <laughs> and that'd be great. That, I'm sure the other cops still fuck with them. Like, oh, Smelly Gary, you bust that keg party? Hey, come on, guys. Not, in front, not in front of the people from high school. Yeah, like, like, give me this. I'm trying to live down that whole Mary Gary, Smelly Gary thing, okay, guys? Like, I'm not really – I'm trying to let that just I'm, I'm move sure, beyond that in my life right I, I'm now. Sure, I'm sure it stuck with it, it with the cops because cops are – They come in the same town he went to high school in. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, of course. Yeah. It doesn't take you that long to figure that out. Oh, you're not going to write me a ticket, Smelly Gary. Come on. <laughs> My one buddy who we've actually had on the show a couple times, he was he was a bully in high school. Like, admittedly a bully in high yeah. school. Now he's a gym teacher in high school and just, like, lets bullying go on and, like, messes with kids. He, he's just an awful guy. Like, he, I mean, but it was, but it was, I don't know, like. He's, like, really, nah, he's like, a nice the guy. bully's man on the inside. Yeah. He's, like. Like the pro bully teacher, dude. We had a we had a bullying expert on the show and trying to tell him why bullying was wrong, and he was like challenging your honor. And he's like, "Well, what if I make fun of uh, kids who don't know how to tie their shoes and always wear Velcro? Maybe that'll encourage them." to What if I'm a motivating factor in their life? Yeah. What if I've honed them like a Darwinian gauntlet yeah. of abuse that <laughs> shapes them into no, a, I mean, a I modern day? I don't think he's totally wrong, though. Yeah. I mean, he is, needs to be picked on a little he bit. He is funny about it, and I think there is something. Here's a here's a question then. It's sure. interesting. Because I, I never saw one of these moments, and I'm wondering if you ever saw the moment you see in the movies where, like, okay, like in Christmas Story, where Ralphie snaps and then he beats the shit out of the bully. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. always those moments where the underdog has his, you know, Peter Parker mask. Yeah. Him. Have you ever? Did you ever anything like that? Around yeah. You? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, did. I saw a yeah. couple times. Well, there was this one guy, um, Timmy. And he, Timmy just got it the worst out of anyone. And he just, well, because he also, he was just this little chubby kid and he had a bowl cut and he would just get like enraged and people <laughs> just love that about him. And he would just start shaking with rage. And you know that scene in, uh, in, uh, Billy Madison where he, where yeah. the kid's like, I want to, I want to go to high school. Stay. And he's shaking the kid in the chin, yeah. the second chin yeah. smacking up against the first chin. Yeah. The guy would just freak out and shake his head side to side and they get a little friction going back and forth. And I remember the one time in uh, ceramics class, he made a marlin and uh, for his ceramics project because he, he became uh, a fan of the Florida Marlins for some reason because okay. they were an expansion team. But you, you know, were searching. in Michigan, right? Like, yeah, we were in Pennsylvania. Right, so he was, yeah, just, Pennsylvania. he was just searching for an identity, trying right. to be interesting. I'll be a Florida fan. That'll, that'll do it. That'll distract from my fatness, my, my aficionado of the Florida Marlins status. That'll kick in. Oh, wait, we were going to make fun of how fat you are, but then we were like, dude, let's ask him interesting questions. About his Florida baseball team, <laughs> he, he came back one summer. You know how every time you'd start a new year, he came in one summer, and they, you know, they go around like, "Oh, hey, what's your name? Do you have a nickname you go by?" And he goes, uh, "Yeah, Timothy." And uh, my nickname is Hobbs, and everyone's like, "No, it's not." Like he got, he just, That's he, hilarious. he just read some Calvin and Hobbs and thought, like, "Okay, this is like a better angle to play." <laughs> well, who reads? 
Reese so Calvin and Hodge goes, I'm going to be that tiger. <laughs> so anyway, he made, a cer- he made a ceramic marlin. Someone <laughs> broke the marlin in the kiln. And he was complaining to the teacher, blah, blah, blah. They broke my marlin. And it, this is where it got really cool. The teacher enjoyed messing with him, too, because the kid would be such a pain in the ass, you know, not only when he was getting picked on, but he was also just an honorary kid in general. So the teacher's like, what are you talking about? What's a marlin? And he's like, well, you don't know what a marlin is? She's like, no, that doesn't exist. So this kid started losing his mind going, marlins do exist. So in his yeah, mind, he just ate the red pill and the matrix yeah, is gone. Exactly. Fucking, there are no marlin. Marlin is not real. Where did like that. <laughs> <laughs> But I uh, – two more stories. Now that you got – I got two more that are real quick. Two more Timmy stories? No. no. So wait. So Timmy freaked out, but what happened, though? Did what happened? Did he anybody? What did he do? He, he, just, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't really do anything because he well, was see, just – I'm talking about one where the, where the kid actually okay. beats I know, the bully. I know a kid that beat up a bigger kid. You do? Okay. Yeah. What happened? Well, we were, we were in football. Uh, the smaller kid was this Mexican guy named Arturo, and he was like a running back, really tiny guy. And this big white dude who's just a redneck just kept picking on him all yeah. day just because he wanted to pick a fight and he was a redneck. I don't know. I really don't know. I think, they, he thought, I think they have to once a day. He thought he, thought he could kick Arturo's ass, so he kept bugging Arturo. Arturo's a smart, you know, just normal yeah. kid in high school who didn't really want to fight. But, like, you know, we just found ourselves all alone with no coaches around. And he's like, all right, you want to fucking fight? Let's fight right now while the coaches are doing, you know, they were, like, writing their playbook right. or whatever. And uh, so we all circled around. <laughs> uh, it's funny how, like, animalistic we become. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's well, Lord we, of the Flies. Everyone was waiting for the moment. We wanted, we wanted to see Arturo kick his ass because we kind of thought he could, too. So, so Zach, you going into this, you thought maybe the kid had a chance. Well, Zach's, well, yeah, Arturo's wiry. He's an athlete. Okay. Zach's this kind of big guy. He's a little bit of a reject, but no one really picks on him that much because he's so he's big. big dude. You're not going to... Yeah. But uh, <laughs> they start, you know, hopping around like they're going to fight, and Arturo just kind of jumps on him, <laughs> like knocks him to the ground. So Zach's on the ground, and Arturo is just wailing on him, just like that movie, A Christmas Story. Wow. And uh, I think, yeah, we just eventually pulled him apart, and Zach was like, you know, he was still dizzy, and did he was still stumbling. Zach, did he stop fucking with people? No. <laughs> did Arturo become well, here's cooler? The thing is, is Zach, <laughs> like, did Zach, anything John, there's not the a happy ending to this I want to know if we, there's we, any. Cause we had to help Zach up, and he was, like, stumbling all over the place. He was like, let, me, let go. Let me <laughs> at him. Let, I have got him right where I want him. He really <laughs> said that. It was that really is, funny, but, yeah. I had a one, one fight story. It was not a, a mismatch. But uh, I went to a Catholic grade school in the city, so we were all in our ties and coats and shit. But it was, it was the boys were on one floor and the girls were on another floor. It was the eighties was still conservative like that. It probably still is that way in some Catholic schools. But we were in a neighborhood that wasn't all that great. It was kind of a black neighborhood. It was kind of half Nigerian and half just regular black people. Wow, sounds and, like uh, a great mix. <laughs> uh, no, actually, they, they w- it's weird. Like they did actually not get along. Like the regular American black people didn't like. No, that. yeah, I'm saying there is a yeah, weird tension yeah, between strange, people from yeah, Africa and weird stories about that. But that's not the point of the story. The point of this story is there's supposed to be a fight, and uh, but everyone's a pussy. We're all in, it's like seventh graders and the eighth graders are watching them fight, and they circle around each other for about. I don't know, seven, eight minutes with not hitting, you know, those, like little kids, but nobody really wants to start it. Right. And this adult older lady has been looking out the window of her, like, three-flat apartment at the fight that's just happening on a street corner because we walked away from the school and more into the neighborhood to do it. And she's looking at it for a while, and nothing's going on. And finally, instead of stopping it, she puts her head out of the window and yells, If y'all gonna fight, get it on! <laughs> <laughs> And then uh, one kid, actually, his older brother taught him how to punch the other kid in the throat. And the fight ended in, like, two seconds, you know. <laughs> horrible UFC, like, oh, my God. You know, like, the one kid just kind of slapped the other guy, and the other just balls up his fist and jams him right in the abs apple and just drops him. See, I feel like I feel like most of the fights I've seen, it, it doesn't really – they don't really stand up that long. Generally, it's like one guy will take a swing, another guy will take a swing, and then it – you know, they lock the up, ground. and then, yeah, it's wrestling. It turns into wrestling yeah. very quickly. Or, or or unless you're seeing a fight with a guy who's just good, and then you're seeing like just like a two-punch special, you know? Like, yeah. I've seen a couple of those where right. there was this kid who was like uh, in eighth grade. and Robert Kurchan. He was this Philippine guy from our neighborhood in Chicago. <laughs> and, Someone's uh, going to Google him. <laughs> he, uh, Robert, um, I, uh, he was small, 
but he could kick a lot of ass, and he had a lot of. He's like a five foot seven skinny Filipino guy, but he could fucking fight, and he would do weird, dirty tricks. And then I realized all good fighters are using dirty tricks. Like he would, okay, like say <laughs> you, he knew you were going to fight him. Halfway through the tension, he'd go, well, "Wait a minute." You're and then as you let your guard down, he would punch the fuck out of you. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, nice. like, and like, and then I started realizing that's how you win fights. You don't sit around and train yourself to be Batman. Right. You just take advantage right. of dirty <laughs> things, and then you win. Now you grew up in Chicago. Did you ever get beat up? Were you kind no. of physically picked uh, on? No, uh, I was. I got in a couple of dumb fights, and uh, but they were. I was small. You know, no, but the small kid never gets punched. You know, but I did learn how to be funny by to in order to not have people beat me up, I would just make fun of them. Right. And uh, so even though I was a nerdy kid, I was pretty clever and I was pretty mean too. Yeah. So I was. Do you remember any like any people you really gave it too hard? Back oh yeah, in the I day? feel I feel horrible. Now what kind it. what kind of stuff would you like? <laughs> oh, what's a what, what's a John Roy Rose joke? No weakness and you pounce. I mean, like you know, <laughs> any like one kid he left it. He like he kind of acted a little gay and one. One day he left his uh, red hat in the wash, and his gray pants came out pink. Oh, and I just started jackpot. calling him the pink pantser. And doing, <laughs> da -dun, da -dun, da -dun, you know, just I'm doing the song. I, you know, like, just anything. I mean, you don't have to be really funny. You right. just have to be mean and uh, and kicking Consistent. the guy below you in the social order. <laughs> I mean, yeah. like, and then, and then you're, like, dumb. Other bloodthirsty people in an all-boys Catholic school will respond. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I remember that kid almost had one of those bullying moments where he was going to kick my ass. Yeah. But he didn't because I got to <laughs> drop on him. He finally goes, if you fucking talk about – I think I was making fun of his dad. I, I was a bad kid. Like, oh, let's just throw that out there. You were a bad kid. You don't I strike was, me as a bad kid. Was, you don't uh, strike me as a goody two-shoes. But I don't I was see a you being shit. a troublemaker. I was a little shit. I was, I was not – I was never going to do anything dangerous because I was kind of a pussy too. So I wasn't going to blow anything up or steal anything really that right. I get in trouble for. But I was I was pretty cruel when it came to making fun of other kids, and I was always in detention because I would make fun of the teachers because I didn't care about them and I hated the concepts of education. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think I heard the wall when I was like nine. It was like, oh, that's where it is. So even at age nine, you're like, man, I'm yeah, seeing I'm through this thing. This. Yeah, I was, which is. Point, I mean, it was a, a horrible thing to happen to me because now I have furniture made of Tupperware and I'm 37. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I did, you know, have that that rebel streak. But yeah, like the kid was gonna finally fight me, and 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 God, in, in a in a in a justice driven universe, he should have. He should have kicked the shit out of me. I was mercilessly cruel to him for no reason. Like in a in a in a, in a world where everything worked out right, he would have beat me up. I would have learned a lesson, and I'd be a different guy <laughs> sitting here. In this chair, you but would have been humbled. Had, yeah, you wouldn't have been this egotistical been, been, maniac that uh, you became. Enabled to be this weird combination of uh, you know whatever. But so he, <laughs> he turns around and goes, "If you talk about my dad one more time, I'll kick your ass so hard you'll be in Chicago tonight." We were on the trip to Washington D.C. with our eighth grade uh, uh, field trip, but we were leaving that day. And I go, "I will be in Chicago tonight," and I turned my back on him and kept walking, and everybody laughed. Because I I was right. Like, yeah, we were all right. leaving. So right. It was like that perfect ending. I would be in Chicago. Like, he just, through a poor choice of words, he opened it up for me to have a really good heckler comeback. Right. And then he never got he to just hit me. It up. And it just, and it just made him look. And, 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 you know, and I really, really feel bad because this kid, he had some depression issues. I think he went to the Brown Counselor and the priest. I mean, like, I think he... I think he was really unhappy. Now, is there a part of you that wants to make amends? Like, well, you I, see him now at the, the high school college. union? Uh, we ended up oh, going okay. To, he's in grade school. We ended up going to the same college. And, you know, I was nice to him the couple times we talked. And uh, it was kind of funny. He was trying to recruit me for a fraternity. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to let you hate me. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, thank you. But I remember talking to him, and I just was nice and polite. I, I didn't think at that point, after he'd already gone to high school and now he's in college, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know what you guys think of this, but I ended up just pretending like it never happened, and so did he. Right. And I think, you know, and and again, we were we were 12 and 13. Yeah, we and, and I think it's, yeah. I think you maybe know, girls. Like, I think if you're if you're a girl, maybe you can have that conversation. But as a guy, almost bringing it up, it he, would be as insulting as the in. original. That's how I felt, and I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the brave thing to do is to just go. You know what? I was a real prick in in grade school, and I'm sorry about that. And may and and I. And, but then again, you know. 
19-year-old John was not that much more mature than 12-year-old John was. Right. So that's super like, evolved at 19. I think if I saw him now, I probably would apologize uh, because yeah. I was a shit. But I was also a child. You know, yeah, like it's a person. weird... I don't know. Maybe I mean, you're, right. not, I mean, maybe that's, you're the same that's, guy. That's part I think of... either way is acceptable. Because like, you are a different person when you're growing up. I, I don't act how I acted when I was a kid, you know? Yeah. No, but I mean, that's part of, you know, growing up and maturing is trying on different things like, yeah. hey, this is what it's like to be a dickhead. This is what it's like to be but, really right. nice and have people but, walk all over you. But the thing that, that is sort of upsetting to me as I think about my life, and I know for a fact that I that one of the reasons I'm funny enough to be funny for a living is because I teed off on a lot of kids between <laughs> the ages of 12 and 16. So and, you, uh, yeah, it's going to be like, great. Just send them a link to your Leno like, set. I, like, you yeah. were a small part uh, of Yeah, this. right. Like, you, I mean, it, it, it makes you feel bad when you know that a gift that, you know, you feel is a positive thing in your life. You know, and you may, I made a lot of people happy. I enjoy what I do. I get to relieve people's day. I think I have something to say, but I know that the practice time. <laughs> so even even on your even on your was, best day, karmically, was, you're just yeah. Even. I am I am just a I'm a fuck. I am reaping uh, the the benefits <laughs> of being an asshole uh, in great school. Now you, you talk about reaping the benefits. I didn't know this about you. I feel like I've known you for a while, just doing sets around town or whatever. That uh, you won Star Search. You I won, won Star Search in uh, on uh, CBS. It is not the real Star Search. It was a, a redo of Star Search that. Mark Cuban from the Dallas Mavericks wow. <laughs> uh, bought the rights to the name and produced a, a short-lived star search on CBS in 2003 into 2004. And there were three go-arounds that had stand-up comedians. They ended up dropping it for season two. Okay. Uh, and I was the first grand champion of the new star search with Arsenio Hall as the host uh, I had a different celebrity judge. There were there were three celebrity judges every week. There was always Ben Stein, Carol Liefer, and fuck, one other person was always my judge. Who was? Oh, there was a, a rotating third, and so I had Kelly Rowland once from Destiny's Child. She uh, was a she was a judge. Or she, was a uh, she was a judge, and then I had <laughs> so uh, Kelly Rowland from Destiny's was Child, one of my judge judges. So, well, what also with Ben Stein and, and Carol Liefer, but yeah, yeah, she was one of the judges, and then the next week I had a, uh, Keisha Cole. Does that sound right? Yeah, it's a I black know. girl from a sitcom. I, I don't remember. No, Keisha Cole's a singer. She oh, that's who was a singer. Yeah, I didn't really know who she was. She at was the time. popular that year, and that's it. But that was but, it. It was like yay oh. and goodbye. Like okay, so it's like me, uh, and then <laughs> uh, and then the other judge was Jessica Simpson. Really? Jessica yes. Simpson judged your stand-up comedy? Yes, and she gave me five stars, and I owe her $100,000. That, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So $100,000, what uh, do you actually get to see of that? Do you well, get- I got 65000 of that because the government takes the other half. Uh, and then I had some debts. I paid off some credit card debt. I paid off my dad for some stuff from school. I bought my dad's car. And then I moved to L.A., and I was dumb. I actually lived off it for a couple months because I was so sick of being a middle. I had, And this is stupid. I should have just kept plowing ahead and working every week. I, I, but I, I kind of I'm, – I'm prone to laziness, and I like fucking off all the time. Yeah. And I remember going, you know, you were on the road 50 weeks a year in these hotel bars and shit. So I remember, like, taking it easy in Chicago for about five months, and th- that bleeds money. So by right. the time I got out to L.A., I didn't have a whole lot of it left. I mean, I had I, – and I lived off it a bit off here, out here too. I think I probably lived off that stuff partially between 03 and 05. Uh, but, yeah, I, that was my TV break, and then I got to move to L.A. and, and start going up in the clubs out here and get kicked in the fucking nuts. Now, was I, that was that a real kick in the nuts when yeah. you say, like, oh, I got Star Search – I'll be a household name next year. I never thought that, but... But obviously, I mean, when you get into this business, obviously you're optimistic about yourself. You have to be continually optimistic about your career. And and they promised me a development deal, which didn't really pan out. That was like two meetings and a no. And then, uh, then like... Sorry Sorry for laughing, but just thought you... I'm trying to be funny. It's a fucking podcast. I'm sorry for finding you amusing. <laughs> no, I guess I'm laughing at the idea no, that you got rejected. I'm trying to make it funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's a part of the job. No, I know, I know. Like, uh, but um, 
So then I – yeah, but I came out of here and I got kicked in the ass all sorts of ways after that. Because number one, I had a headline now and I really wasn't a headliner. I had about 30 minutes that were solid and then 15 of fucking who knows what. Yeah. And I was getting a lot of money to headline these clubs and I wasn't really ready. So I burned some bridges and I had this kind of snake of a manager – uh, just booking me in places that, you know, just taking them for all they're worth. The show turned out to be mostly moms and kids, so they weren't coming out to the club. So I wasn't drawing, even yeah. though I had just won this thing. So and you're kind of a household name, but a family. Of 12-year-olds. Yeah. Like, right. I think at the height of it, I got recognized 85 times. So for a while, I was so many people like, ooh, the guy. Because there was millions of people watched the damn thing. Right. But yeah. then it was, you know, the people that watch contest shows are not the people that come out to, to they're comic not they're not And even the people that watch Last Comic Standing, they go to the Last Comic Standing tour show, mm-hmm. and then they go home and they never go to a comedy club again. Right. You know what I mean? Like, if you don't believe me, ask all the winners. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like, uh, so, it, it, so they weren't coming out to the club. I wasn't really doing what I was being hired to do when I was being paid. I was being paid more than I still am today, you know, uh, for, uh, for that, you know, those headlining dates. So that was kicking me in the balls. And then out here in L.A., I had been, you know, you know, if you're a road comic in the Midwest, and don't get me wrong, there's some excellent comedians that started that way and that are still out there doing that now. But the field is a little weak, especially in the middle slot and then some of these headliners that, you know, don't have credits and have just been doing it a long time. So it's pretty easy to go out with your bullshit. And when I say my act was bullshit, it was bullshit. Now, I had six, give, us, give us some I had samples of the bullshit. Well, you can watch this, the Star Search stuff. I'm still proud of most of that Star Search stuff. I'm not proud of the way I deliver the jokes. I've gone through about four or five delivery styles in my life, and I, I hate most of them. <laughs> but the, uh, the Star Search stuff, at least, the, a lot of those jokes I'm proud of uh, in terms of the content and the form. Uh, but that's the, that seven minutes that I did on the show, or eight, or whatever it turned out to be in the end, that was the good shit. Now, I'm not saying that, that the other stuff in my middle act didn't get laughs. It did, but it was nonsense. It was like, remember Knight Rider? That car sounded gay. Uh, you know, I, I remember. <laughs> I like that bit. <laughs> uh, I remember the first, the first joke I ever wrote, and I was still doing this joke in, in the middle act. The first joke I ever wrote and that I thought was that first joke we just got an unadulterated hit. You know, every time you did it, right. you got the laugh. And I was so proud of this, and it's so gross. Because and then like people would compliment me on it, but I'd never think like, yeah, he liked it because he's a hack. You know what I mean? Like, right? So yeah, you're not joke that I thought was my my fucking meet the Beatles. This was my uh, I want to hold your hand. <laughs> was um, so uh, Magnum. I love Magnum PI because I got I got to get back in my old awful <laughs> Seinfeld slash Miller delivery style. I mean, like uh, uh, Magnum PI was the only guy who could wear ball hugging Daisy Duke shorts. A Hawaiian shirt. I was almost Casey Kasem. A Hawaiian <laughs> shirt open to his navel and a mustache and still look like a heterosexual. If I wore that outfit and live with a guy named Higgins, I'd be getting free ice capades tickets in the mail. Okay, that was the joke. that I, I debuted at a club called Laugh Lines in Madison, Wisconsin. Wow, got you got the whole history. massive hit, and I was like... Fuck yeah! Like in my, head, in my head, I was Eddie Van Halen, and I was in that. I just stumbled on the intro to "Ain't Talking About Love." Like, like in my head, I was cool in the game. And I was like, "Get back in here!" Ding, 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 ding. Get me in Holy here! Shit. We gotta light some like, tape. Like, like that was that was what was going on in my head when I came up with the Magnum's gay shorts bit. Right now, you talk about going joke. through four or five different styles. How does that come about? Do you just watch yourself on tape, or do you just kind of get a wall? And you slowly cry to yourself to sleep. Uh, no, it's um, I I didn't I knew I, I I think every comedian starts with, and again, if it starts getting too inside baseball, tell me to shut up. No, I no, no, no. That's what we're about. Is, uh, okay. Um, no. I think every comedian um has one set of muscles developed when they start, like pre-developed. I, let me let me. You ever meet one of those guys that only works his arms? And his shoulders. Yep, and he's got tiny me. fucking legs. He's way on my life. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they, they, from, he looks like the cartoon Batman from his waist up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then, like, yeah. you know, the rest of them. So I think every comedian that I know starts out with either writing that's above average before he, his first open mic or awesome stage presence and, and acting. Um, usually not both. 
You either yeah. start as a guy who's got solid jokes, but he doesn't know where to fucking stick the microphone, or a guy who's the most compelling guy in the room and you have shitballs to say. You know, like, I remember when Hannibal Beerus started, his writing was genius, but you never would have known it because he mumbled through his sets. And then, you know, two years later, he figured out how to do comedy uh, in terms of just the delivery, and he became one of the funniest guys in America. But he started with the writing, but he didn't have the performance. And then there's guys yeah. like T.J. Miller that... Well, it's on stage with nothing, and they were improvisers, and everyone's laughing, and they couldn't told you what they they had just set up there. I started out with the writing. In terms of structure, I didn't have shit to say. My jokes were all about, um, you know, Atari's graphics were bad, uh, just obvious, <laughs> stupid premises. Like, I think I wrote, like... I remember my first five minutes, and I did a lot of that stuff for for at least two, three, four years. Some of them, yeah. The, I was doing this hand job thing until <laughs> I was like nine years, and it was funny. Like, a, like I don't know, a similar premise to that was in Kinane's special. Like his joke was better than mine, but Kyle Kinane. yeah, like his uh, Kyle Kinane special, he had something like it. Not that he, you know, his joke is completely original, but it's like it was interesting to go. Why well, had an idea like that? Mine was awful, but yeah. I had a similar. <laughs> right. uh, now yeah, I, I I've just, just even seen just from watching you from when I've known you, I felt like your stuff's got more personal. I remember, yeah, uh, like you, I, I saw a lot of stuff about you talking about your uh, girlfriend. Yeah, your you know your breakup with your girlfriend is that something that you wouldn't have done early on? Absolutely. But later, that is, you that kind is of something decided I wouldn't have done until. You know, the last six months. Like, I've I've done a lot of changing my set and style. Not style, but I've tried to write about different stuff and go a little deeper and be a little more personal. And I've really only been doing that as of the last year. So, you know, I've gone through stages. I started out as, as my only thing was I don't want a day job. That was all I had in my head. It was like, don't have a day job. What, uh, just get out of Have here. you ever had any day jobs? Yeah. I was what kind, of, what kind waiter, of jobs have you had? I was a waiter twice, you know, pretty much, and a day bartender while I waited tables. Yeah. That was pretty much it. I worked at a stir-fry restaurant in Evanston where this annoying owner that would come out from, he would be, this is before the stock market crash. Uh, so he was day trading in the back all day long because he thought he was going to be a fucking genius. And uh, we're all out front. There's only two people on ever because our lunches were horrible. Yeah. There's a chain in Chicago called the Flat Top Grill. It's like a Mongolian barbecue. You make your own shit. This guy copied it to the chairs. Have you ever seen oh, Coming man. to America? You know, McDowell's. It's exactly McDonald's. Yeah. yeah. He did that for this chain called the Flat Top Grill. He made the Stir Fire Grill. It was the same exact restaurant. And he opened it in a place where there weren't any. And then they came in a block from him and shut him and closed him down. <laughs> but uh, before he would come out there, like, and he would never help ever. And he would just look out at the waiters. But it was the most pretentious thing. He'd go, all right, guys. And then he'd clap his hands and go, let's make some money. And then he would go back in the fucking back. Just and go day trade for hours. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's us make some money yeah. for you. Yeah. Yeah. Let's make some money. Yeah, Fuck that's you. supposed to be his inspiring yeah. speech. So I had that job, and then that I went down with the ship in that job. Like that, right. they, they, we had a roach, and then we, our customers just fucking <laughs> had. And then I, I was working with a crackhead. He got arrested by the cops. That came. He turned out to be like. Breaking his restraining order, like throwing rocks at his old girlfriend's. Wait, he was working with you guys as oh, a yeah. waiter. Yeah, he was the, the the other waiter. He said he was an actor, but he did, he was always looked like he had. Slept. I act like I'm not yeah. smoking crack, <laughs> except when I am smoking. He crack. was very bad at that part of acting. Like, that was the part of acting he wasn't that good. <laughs> he definitely looked like he was smoking crack. But one day, like we were ready to start the lunch shift, and uh, these two cops that looked like straight out of Midnight Run, like giant black dude in a suit. These were detectives. And a giant white dude in his suit. Both had shades on. The guy's name was Brant, and uh, I'll change his last name. Sure. Uh, uh, so um, he doesn't need the Facebook the cop, for us. Knocks on the. Yeah, the other guy didn't mention his name, but I was telling him he was an yeah, awesome yeah, fighter. Yeah, like, yeah not no. bad. Yeah, he's <laughs> but, probably in the MMA. Yeah, he's probably good. So, uh, this guy knocks on the door, uh, and I pick it. There's two fucking cops there. I'm like, uh, hello, <laughs> and uh, he goes, Brant Williams. I was like. No, it's not like James Earl Jones. Like, <laughs> Brent Williams. I'm like, uh, no, that's the other guy. So he walks over to him, and then they leave. And I run down the street after the cops, and I'm like, uh, it's our lunch rush. Is he going to be back? And I'll never forget. The guy stops, turns and goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that. But that job, uh, that guy, those, the owner sold the restaurant to a guy and his brother. They were like... The, the guy, they were like, they had money from like some, the guy was like an Arab, he had money from his dad or something. 
And then the other guy was he used to manage the Medieval Times in Schaumburg. And, uh, and then he became the new owner, and it went downhill. And uh, I rode that thing. I should have got a new job, but I was so lazy. I didn't care. I was doing open mics at night. I didn't really give a shit. As long yeah. as I made 80 bucks a day, I was fine. And I remember coming in there one day, and uh, it just was closed. Like, they didn't. They just they didn't, <laughs> they didn't even tell, tell you. Yeah, they didn't tell me. They, you, you hear about that? That happened to me. I, I wow. had to work with like, oh, I guess I'm not working today. So then I got, um, then I had a, a restaurant shift at Navy Pier, uh, which is a tourist trap in Chicago. This big Ferris wheel and like kids and Germans and people from Cleveland. We had no regulars. Just uh, like I had four managers who were all weird for one reason or the other. <laughs> I had a gay guy who was bipolar, and sometimes he was the nicest guy in the world. Sometimes he was out of his mind. <laughs> I had a guy who just wanted to drink. Like, he was just there to switch sides. I had a weird dude who was trying to he, – he moved in from the suburbs to find a wife. So he was always creepily hitting on your tables, like, and he was the manager, and, like, what can you, like, you're like, no, I'm not going to make any tips if you fucking stand by that right. girl for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Guy, the manager just lurking by your table the entire time? A, a really mean uh, lesbian woman who still bartends in Chicago, and I would still see her uh, from time to time, and she, and again, you know. None of this is meant to be homophobic in any way. These sure. were just people that happened to be gay, and they also happened to suck, kind of. Right. The two were not related. It but, would be, yeah, it would be narrow-minded of you to yeah, assume to, that uh, all, yeah, hom- all homopho- awesome. our homosexuals are awesome. Yeah, yeah so, that's that's the, making a broad generalization. Yeah. They don't need that. So uh, so she hated me, and still does. I'll see her in, bar t- in bars where she'll be bartender around the city, and I'll be working there at Zanies or whatever, and I'll still get weird looks from her. And uh, I remember when I finally quit, uh, this is how little they cared about me. I was only doing Monday and Sunday day shifts. So I clearly wasn't, you know, I remember coming in and going, guys, you know, I really, I can't work Mondays anymore because, so I really kind of got to quit because I need Monday to book uh, on the road and I'm just not, I'm not getting that time and it really isn't worth it to me anymore to to do this. I'm sorry, I got to quit. She stares at me for like a minute without saying anything. She goes, are the ketchups done? That was her main thing. That was the last thing right. said to me by the employees at the Navy Pier Charlotte's House, which isn't there anymore, so I can shit talk them if I want. Yeah, you can <laughs> burn that said, bridge. Uh, they said, are the ketchups done? And let me fill in the audience to what are the ketchups done means. In the back of our restaurant, we took every ketchup from the day, and we poured them all into a big thing that a guy had made. Like, he made it on, you know, Mythbusters or something. <laughs> it was like this fucking... A uh, giant trough with the bottom cut out and a funnel and then a crank in the top. Oh, so you poured all the ketchup in there and then you refilled every bottle from the old ketchup. Uh, so theoretically. Yeah, we did that. You guys did that too? We didn't have a funnel. We just, you just poured, poured the old ketchup. Yeah, we used to do that. So them, there yeah. could have been ketchup from the grand opening. Still like oh. making some sort just of still hanging around layer in the bottom of the. Well, uh, Heinz 57 just oh, at the base. Yeah, we did that every day. That can't be legal. Can it? No. If there's anybody out here that's listening, find Sean and tell him or me on Facebook. Check, tell me check if out it's John legal to marry the ketchups. Ah <laughs> uh, man, good times. You're talking about you worked with a guy who smoked crack, and yes. I know you're. I know you're a big music fan. I don't know if you saw this. It um, recently came out. It was a little news item here. The Outlaws, who uh, I guess was a rap group that was formed by Tupac and some other characters. They, uh, I guess there's a rumor going around about Tupac and his remains, and here's some audio about them talking. After Tupac died, the outlaw smoked his ashes. Is that true? Yeah, it's definitely true. You know, um, I think it was the night of, uh, the night of his, um, had a little memorial for him, you know, with his mom, his family, and shit. And we had hit the beach and, um, you know, threw a lot of shit he liked in the beach. You know, some weeds, some some chicken wings, some you know, he loved orange soda, all that kind of shit. Chicken wings in the ocean. Yeah, yeah, you know, he pock love that kind of shit. So, you know, we was just giving him our own, you know, um farewell and um that night, um, you know, I forgot which one of us came up with it, you know, they had his ashes and shit. And uh you know, I came up with that shit. If you listen to Black Jesus, he said last wishes nigga smoked my ashes. You know what I mean? So that was a that was a request. You know what I mean? That he had. Now, whether how serious he was about it, <laughs> we took the shit serious. <laughs> that is compelling uh, audio. Here's my favorite awesome. part, maybe. 
before the one guy clarifies that they put the chicken wings and stuff in the ocean, <laughs> the first guy just says he put it on the beach. Yeah. Like, the first guy goes, we, we put all the stuff we like, the chicken wings and weed, on the beach. Like, I just imagine sitting there in the sand, <laughs> some fly kind of poking just, at it. Just, <laughs> you know, like, and then they leave, well, we did it, let's leave. And there's just all a Tupac shit just on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> fucking just like weird, weird. all just pecking at Tupac's weird fucking childhood photos. <laughs> like, Dude, you're supposed to put it in the ocean. Ah, oh, shit. <laughs> I thought just the beach. Yeah, like, why not Why not go all the way? Not Why not marinate the wings in, in Tupac's ashes, a charcoal I, grill? I love, I love the idea of them throwing the chicken wings in the ocean. Like, I just picture a guy, like a left fielder, trying to hit a cutoff man in the ocean also, also, with a also, drumstick. Chucky. Wings are wings. Let, was this the wings Tupac was going to eat and he left them <laughs> in the front? Like, why are these particular... Right. They're, Wing, like it's you know, I mean, yeah, I like I like Symbolic. food, but if you threw a bunch of lamb biryani in the ocean, that doesn't really do anything for me. <laughs> oh, so you're at, I think really it's the soul. equivalent of pouring your drink into and the that, ground. That, yeah, no. Here's the thing. I understand. Okay, the idea of all right, we're gonna throw your ashes out into the sea, and then we'll throw the chicken wings out there, so your ashes can be with the chicken wings. But if no, you're that, in, no, it makes no sense. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm giving them the benefit this of the doubt. Crazy ancient Egypt thinking that people have. Like I'll bear and, and look. I know, like I'm not, I'm not a religious guy. I have no, I think a lot of my friends are religious. My parents all, you know, I have, I, and I like people that think on about religion in a sophisticated way. I've had many conversations with guys where you're like, oh, you know what, you know, your worldview that includes God that makes a lot of sense to me. But that magical thinking of like he needs his stuff when he dies, or like we'll put the stuff in there with his body. Like what is that? Like that's like a, some pharaoh. Like they would, you know, in, in no the, less black Jesus. I think that's shit. for the people. Who are left behind? That's for them to get closure, probably. Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> got closure by throwing a by chicken wing in the ocean. Well, that's why you bury them. I mean, that's why you have ceremonies and all that. Into space, like I just don't get like the whole thing of like why it's just stuff at this point. The person's dead. Like, uh, I don't yeah. Know. yeah, I think I think I guess in the way you're somehow reliving, like, oh yeah, this is the way Pac would have wanted it. But you do. I've had these conversations Pac with my friends. Chicken in the sea? Somehow it becomes tuna fish. Um, like, yeah, I mean, I've had this conversation with friends, or I, I even had a bit about it in my stand-up, where you would get really drunk, and then they would start describing to you, hypothetically, like, hey, if I die, man, I don't want it to be a sad funeral. I want it to be a party funeral, man. I want people to look back and go, yeah, Justin was a guy who liked to hang out and drink beers and, and right. just be alive, man, and listen to music and tunes. But you would never actually do that at a funeral, at least at least where I'm from. Well, unless you're Tupac's dumb friend. Well, we, uh, I had a... <laughs> Well, a friend of ours, uh, a friend of uh, all the Chicago comedians uh, died, uh, and he, his name was Pat. He was a really good guy. And uh, we were at his funeral down on the south side of Chicago, and it was insane party type. It was a Catholic <laughs> funeral in the city. Yeah, it's and way, so it a lot of drinking. You know. And so we were at this Irish bar on 35th, which is you know right there in the middle of Bridgeport by Sox Park. And they are downing Jameson like you wouldn't believe. And it was a good time. It was a good funeral. Everyone was having, you know. Their memories of Pat, but the drinking was getting out of hand. And one of these old Irish guys goes, more Jameson, more Jameson. That's how Pat would have wanted it. And my buddy C.J. Sullivan sits and goes, uh, after watching this about an hour, he goes, uh, yeah, Pat may have wanted that, but you want it a little, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you, you, uh, Pat very well may have wanted this, I, but you also kind of also <laughs> want this, too, a little bit. Right, they were exactly. drinking shots of Jameson here before uh, Pat died. You right. know, let's not... Uh, <laughs> You know. That is great. Yeah, like, like, yeah, the same thing with those guys in Tupac. Yeah, sure, Tupac would have wanted some wings, but those guys are looking for a reason to go on a cookout anyway. Yeah, like, hey, let's get high and eat wings, and also let's, uh, I don't know, we'll make it Tupac-themed in some way. And no, the, I, love has, how, I love how the mom is, is there, too, hanging out. Like, I, I mean, I get what it. What think about her son being smoked by the <laughs> wing eaters? Like, you know, and also... This oh, she's is, raking in the dough from his like, <laughs> Were the outlaws really his best friends, or was this some... some D12 thing he put together in like year point five. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I thought they were like just in some group before Tupac. Oh, they really. Before. I, I thought so, yeah. Tupac but I could... was a dancer in Digital Underground. Right. And then I don't know. Of, I don't know. Enough, like I'm just yeah, talking I'm not like I'm the editor of the source. Story. But uh, <laughs> like somebody who knows more about hip hop than me. Can please, also, uh, after you're done telling us about the catch-up, somebody uh, call in or write in or email or whatever and tell us um, – 
uh, how big the outlaws really were in Tupac's actual Right, life. exactly. Like we'll get on like, that. Hardcore Tupac fan. All right. Yeah, you have your mission. <laughs> you, you've given the audience a lot of work, John. I, I appreciate that. People want an interactive experience. Active, now go interact. Active listening. Yeah. I appreciate that. Uh, John, are you a baseball fan at all? I am really not uh, much of a sports fan. If you have tickets, I will go to the game. And when I'm at the game, I'll pay attention and I will I will be interested and I'll root for you know what I mean. Like right, right. you'll get into it. I'll get into it. I'll have fun. But I couldn't tell you where the Cubs are right now. I know they're they're like back and so are the Cardinals and like think Milwaukee's leading the division. But I only not because I just I only know that because I was just in St. Louis working with a bunch of big giant baseball fans at the right. So you just they they just talk about building and and because. And sports fans always find out where you're from, and then, you know, and it's cool. I mean, I'm glad it's a way that they, that they uh, want You don't want to alienate. It's funny. You took yeah, a moment to try to explain how you're you not going to alienate all sports well, no, fans. Well, no, it's like I appreciate what they're doing. I mean, it is it's trying to reach out to you based on where you're from, and they go, right. oh, well, you're okay. Well, how about the Cubs? Oh, you're from Chicago. Oh, yeah. I appreciate the, the place of that in, in American conversation, and, and I understand like, and I'm happy to talk to you about sports, and thank you for... <laughs> while, while he's but, shaking his head, no. But at the same time, like, I don't know enough about that, so right. I always feel like I'm letting them down. You know, like, they yeah. wanted to have this... They, they came armed with facts about the Cubs to make me feel welcome and to yeah. connect with me, yeah. and I got nothing. Like, I, I, can, I can say the name Zambrano five times, and I'm good. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. I just... Uh, I find myself just throwing whatever... Unrelated anecdotes. I yeah. also I heard the DH rule came in in the sixty. Like I got, you got no. like a couple of anecdotes. <laughs> yeah. okay, gotta, well, yeah. this is this is something you can throw in next time you have a sports conversation. Right. This is some news, fundraising news. Now I know it's hard to make fun of a guy for raising money for little league, but I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try. This is uh, I listen to some ESPN radio sometimes, and uh, this is one of the promotions they've been running for Subway. Subway is a longtime sponsor of Little League Baseball, and you can help too. Visit SubwayKids.com to bid on baseballs designed by Little Leaguers and autographed by Subway famous fans like Michael Phelps and Ryan Seacrest. All proceeds benefit the Little League Urban Initiative. Now, you okay, couldn't get a single fucking baseball player? This is a Little League benefit? You can't get one MLB guy? The two guys you name are a DJ and a swimmer? First off, <laughs> Ryan Seacrest is like the antithesis of sports. If you asked a Little Leaguer, a, a kid who's really into sports, who's your favorite celebrity? Ryan Seacrest is not going to be anywhere no. near there. How did they – how many – Baseball guy said no. <laughs> I know. Like, and why? Why? Or, or was it just like? Or was it just some sports agent came in and goes, "Subway, I can get you Michael Phelps and Ryan Seacrest. That's who I got." And they're like, "All right, okay, we got Did a pot smoker and a metrosexual. That's all we got." Did Here's they tell other... Michael Phelps that Ryan Seacrest was the other guy? That's what I'm wondering. I think that, yeah, they both. The baseball. They both met? The baseball. <laughs> imagine getting a baseball that's designed by a 12 year old that's autographed by Ryan Seacrest. Oh, you're gonna raise millions of dollars, Subway. Christie's called. They said they can't hold all the people that want to bid on this auction. Can you play the opening clip of that again? Just the first part. Sure. I'll tee right. it up again. Subway is a longtime sponsor of Little Does anyone in real life ever talk like that? <laughs> no, no, no. no. Ever met a guy that's like, hello, Sean. You and I are going to go. That's what's so great about the sports voiceover guys. Ever talks like that. The NFL channels. Hello. NFL series blitz. Who Who even... Who comes up with odd voices that do not resemble reality? Yeah, it's like, weird. Who goes, hello, Sean, you and I are going to go downtown and get some good food today. <laughs> like, who the fuck talks like that? Like, so, I guess guys are booking voiceover work. I yeah, but you know, true. You know right. from channeling Casey Kasem, you know? From, oh, yeah, it, exactly. it brings a little stage presence. Oh, do you remember? Have you ever seen – have you heard Amer- uh, the American Top 40 where Casey Kasem loses his mind? Oh, yeah. That's so great. Yeah, it's, yeah, a, it's, a, a, um, it's a classic. I'll try I'll try to bring it for the next show, but okay, yes, well, yeah, it's yeah, great. Yeah, look I'm it up. I'm not going to butcher it now, but go look, look it, it up, up on YouTube. Casey Kasem, Death Dedication. And, uh, death Dedication. It. Check that out. And Logan, you want to uh, wrap things up here with a haiku? Let's do it. Oh, can I plug anything? Yeah, yeah, hold on. Yeah, yeah, hold on. Sorry. Hugs! Hey, this isn't... Okay, Eddie Murphy's ass molding a comedian gay magnum PI alright mate
Nice job there, Logan. Now, John, John, where can people music get the same place that like? I think there's like one wholesale catalog for all Chinese restaurants. And it has like that tape, and then right. it's got like a red screen, and then a dragon for the wall, and a fan. <laughs> like, it's part of the kit. Little tea hut thing that they stick the candles in. Uh, where can uh, where can people check you out? Where can they get uh, more John you, Roy? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, uh, John Roy Comic. Uh, also, you can go to my website, John Roy Life, and watch some stand-up clips. Uh, also, I would say um, look for my comic book I'm writing for Image Comics. Oh, that's out. It's cool. Power Chords. And there's a, if you want some of the art from that, you can go to Power Chords from Image Comics on Facebook, and you can see some of David Hahn's stuff for the upcoming uh, comic. Wow, that's exciting, man. And uh, also, I, I don't know when this... Uh, when this will be out, but um, at some point this year, I'm supposed to do the Conan show. I don't have my date yet, but uh, look for me. Stay tuned, and uh, I'm sure I'll be retweeting that. I'm at Green Room Show. We do it live here every week on the Green Room Comedy Podcast, exclusively on 247comedy.com. This has been the Green Room. For listening to The Green Room, make sure to log on to 247comedy.com to subscribe to the podcast today. Follow the show on Twitter at Green Room Show, and be sure to check out our movie, The Comedy Garage, now on Hulu. I don't really talk that way. That's my answer.